The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Pleased to welcome Keith Greer into our pulpit tonight to continue in our first Samuel series. Keith is a retired pastor and has faithfully served on our session as a ruling elder for these last six years. He'll be going off finishing his term. We're so grateful for his faithful service on our Great Commission Committee, just providing tremendous pastoral care to our staff, to our session, to our supportive missionaries, and we're delighted to have him bring God's Word tonight. It is a wonderful honor and privilege, it's a sacred honor and privilege and responsibility to bring us to the Word tonight and to point to the living Word. Very thankful to do that tonight. What do we do when our circumstances and our feelings shout so loudly and so persistently and so persuasively a message that is in conflict with what we say we believe. How do we live in a world that owns the media pool in which we splash about and swim? What's true? How do we know it? Do you know the conflict between our feelings and our response to circumstances? and the Word of God. How often do they crash and clash and collide and create some very serious problems for us? Our world outshouts, drowns out what we're trying to speak and we're trying to live. So behind the familiar story, of a little boy who hears his name called at night, we may find some answers to those questions. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Be reading the entire chapter and then going into just the first part of the first verse of the fourth chapter. Remembering that versification and chapter divisions were not inspired. Those were added much later. And I believe it's very clear that the very first part of 4.1 belongs with 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for for you called me. But he said, "I, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. 
And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord that had not yet, had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, Here I am. And he said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me, May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. We've read from God's word. And in words that come from Nehemiah chapter 8, now we want to give the sense of that that we might understand the reading. And in order for that to happen, we must depend upon the Lord. Let us pray. Father, you're the author behind the authors. This is your book. It is your word. And we need to understand the sense of it. We need to understand it. And we pray for the work of your Spirit this very night in our mind and in our hearts that that might happen to your praise and honor and glory. Amen. 
Last week, John gave us a, a sense of the state of the priesthood after the time of the judges, and it was not good. And he also reminded us of God's larger purpose that was working behind the particular specific events of this time. We build on that in chapter 3. Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant, is preparing to do something new. Something very important. And part of his advancing the drama of redemption. His wonderful, glorious plan. Let's look first at this in this chapter at clarifying contrasts. Clarifying contrasts. There's the boy Samuel and old man Eli. Boy Samuel, old man Eli. And this old man couldn't see very well. In fact, by 4.15, we actually read in the text that he's blind. And he probably couldn't hear very well either. The writer says the word of the Lord was rare. I guess there wasn't too much to hear or see. For we also read, look at the phrase, there was no frequent vision. The high priest of God for the nation doesn't see very well, doesn't hear very well. The physical reality appears to be symbolic of the spiritual reality, doesn't it? And where's all this taking place? It's taking place in the temple. The temple, friends. The temple is the palace of the King. The Lord God King of the universe. We also know that the ark was there. The ark was known as His throne. So we have His palace, the temple. We have the ark here, which is His throne, a symbol of His presence. And then we read about the lamp. In Leviticus chapter 24 is where we read and understand about the lamp. Special oil prepared in special ways. Sacred oil was loaded into the lamps and they would burn during the night as a symbol of the presence of the Lord with them in the temple. So everything about this sacred space, everything about it, 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 it's all connected, it's all related, it's all to indicate God's presence, but it seems like He's not there. He's not there. It's night. It's silent. It's dark. We read in verse 2 that the lamp of God had not yet gone out, but it's as if you see the supply for the night, it's, it's burning low, and it won't be too much longer. Dawn will come, but the lamp will burn out. These contrasts help us to understand and set the stage for what it is that the Lord is going to do in the night, in the dark, in the silence, when God hasn't been speaking or appearing, the boy Samuel is in the temple near the ark. And he's going to receive a clear word. So after clarifying contrasts, we now see a very clear and definite word. Samuel hears someone call his name. 
Oh, that wonderful name. A, a name that was given to him, that, which means by, his, by its very name, I've asked him of the Lord. So here is this name. I've asked him of the Lord. And here it is that Samuel was also given to the Lord. So this is a gift from the Lord. This is one given to the Lord. That's the name he hears. Samuel. Someone knows his name. Well, it's, it's clear. It's Eli. Of course it is. So he goes to Eli. Here I am. You called. Happens again. Happens again. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Here's another contrast. Samuel awake. Eli sleeping. And then it starts to occur to Eli. I didn't call him. Somebody's calling him. Could, could it be? It must be. It's the Lord calling Samuel. So now he knows what to do. He coaches him, and he coaches him well. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That's what you need to say. If he speaks to you again, that's how you respond, Samuel. Say that. If the Lord is speaking, his response is to listen. Listen very carefully. Listen and know that Yahweh is his master and he is his servant. So it's again silent. But we can be very sure that Samuel is not asleep. Think of what he's, he's just heard these words from Eli. Now he's laying there. Will, will, will I hear it again? It's curious, but it's also very powerful to realize that the two words, silent and listen, are the same letters, just rearranged. But even more than that, there is a combination, a connection, not just rearranging the letters, but silent and listen are very closely connected to one another. Now Samuel hears his name. Samuel... It's repeated, Samuel, two times. Surely bringing to us, to him, a sense of urgency, a sense of importance, finality. And this time, it's more than hearing his name. Do you see that? It's more than an auditory message. It is also a dream theophany. For here we read in verse 10 that the Lord appeared, stood and appeared. So it's not he heard auditory message before. Now there is some sense of seeing as well as hearing. Oh, calling is an important word in this section. In verses 4 through 10, the word calling occurs 11 times. And it's more than his name that's being called. We remember that priestly succession was a matter of family, wasn't it? I mean, Hophni and Phinehas were the sons of Eli. So, like father, like son. Like father, like son. So Hophni and Phinehas would be priests because Eli is a priest. It was a case of family succession. But something else is happening here. A call without respect to tribe 
or family. No natural succession, but rather a supernatural commission. There's another contrast. The definite, clear word that Yahweh's servant hears is that Eli and his family, as high priest and family, have gone too far. That's a very disturbing thing to think about. Punishment, judgment are surely coming and cannot be avoided. There will be no rescue possible. This is the same clear, definite word that a man delivered in chapter 2, if you were here last Sunday night. It's as if he was a visitor, though. It's, it's someone that came on the scene. It's someone who gave this message to Eli. Now it's as if there's a prophet in residence. It, it's not somebody visiting, passing through. But here's this same message delivered again from Yahweh through Samuel about Eli and his family. The first prophecy that Yahweh gives to his servant prophet He will fulfill. And it won't be very long in coming. I think that we can be quite sure that Samuel didn't sleep after that. But he laid down. He got up in the morning. He performed his regular routine duties and tasks. But Eli calls him. And so Samuel comes. It was Eli who called him this time. And he comes and he says, here I am, you called. That here I am, that's, that's something he's been saying a lot in the night, isn't it? Here I am. And Eli says, Samuel, tell me all that the Lord said. Don't, don't, don't leave anything out. The message was definite. The message was clear. And the telling and reporting of that message was definite and clear. Eli will bow in submission to the Lord's deserved judgment. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. Let him do. He will do what seems good to him. This message will cause ears to tingle when they hear it. This is a way of saying that this particular message would cause terror, would cause, would cause fear. I can't believe it. This is almost unimaginable. Could this be so? The ears will tingle when this message is heard. This is a catastrophe. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Imagine Samuel speaking truth, delivering words of judgment as a boy to the old high priest, his mentor, someone who calls him twice in this chapter, my son. Can words of judgment be spoken with humility and compassion and tenderness? I think so. Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his work on the prophets, makes this statement, quote, In the presence of God, the prophet takes the part of the people. 
in the presence of the people, he takes the place of God. End of quote. That is a special heart set and mindset for a prophet, a servant of the Lord to have. This boy, Samuel, <laughs> he's going to become a man of God. This boy called by the Lord to be his prophet is rising to a place of prominence while Eli and his family are descending and will shortly disappear. Another contrast. So after clarifying contrasts and a clear word we also see, and it's very obvious, and it's very much, we can't miss it in this narrative, is that when the Lord speaks, it demands response. Demands response. Is there any other response to Yahweh speaking than Hineni? It's a Hebrew word, a word that is a beautiful, important word. It simply means, here I am. Hineni, here I am. And everything about that word puts that, that person into a posture, into a position, into a place where it's, I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to obey. Here I am. Here I am. To listen. To hear. To get. To understand. And to obey. The Lord's speaking demands that kind of response. It's what Samuel said to Eli when he thought he was calling him. It's what Samuel said to Yahweh when he knew that Yahweh was calling him. So at the close of our lesson, verse 21, we see that the Lord is revealing himself and Samuel is his spokesman, his servant, his prophet. From Dan to Beersheba, the entire nation knew that the Lord of the Covenant had called and installed His prophet. This is a very significant development. As the nation moves from the time of the judges toward the monarchy and the steady, glorious movement of God's purpose to bring salvation to Israel and those who would be grafted in and share in this so great salvation. So here are wonderful things to learn and think about concerning the Lord and His sovereignty and our hearts and need for rescue. But we can use these same three phrases and think of personal applications for us. Brothers and sisters, is there not lots of darkness today? Calvin used the phrase, after darkness, light, as a motto for Geneva, to express the desire, the longing, the prayer, the efforts that would be made to have this city live under the authority of the Word of God.
After darkness, light. And in each of our lives, how often have you found yourself living by your feelings? Do you know how often our feelings determine what is true? I would submit to us that that's walking in the dark if we do that. That's a very serious problem for us. Each of us is sleepy. Each of us doesn't see so well. We don't hear so well. We need someone who knows our name to call us in the dark, to wake us up. There's a crisis of faith and truth today in our personal lives as well as in our culture and in our world. And God is not silent. He has spoken a clear, definite word. And we need to listen. And we need to pay attention. Gerhardus Voss has written a phrase that is instructive for us. Here it is, quote, God gives Himself in the word of His mouth. God gives Himself in the word of His mouth. He does. He has. And He does still. We all know the Bible is God speaking. It's a clear, definite word. The Lord calls us by name and still demands that we respond to that word. So thankful that Pastor Light was uh, dealing with the passage that he was this morning. Remember Luke chapter 4? What is this word? What is this word? This authoritative word. This word of truth. That's what we're thinking about together tonight too. What I'm going to ask us to do now, it won't be too long, don't be afraid, but I'm going to ask us to be quiet. Quiet in this space. Quiet in this place. Quiet in this night. And respond to the Lord in a personal way. Will we say, Hineni, here I am. Will we say, speak to me through your word that you have spoken. We want to live not by our feelings, but by your word in a world that's in the dark. So we're simply going to be quiet for about 60 seconds while each of us really understand that Yahweh knows our name. He calls us by name. And He has given us 
His Word. A clear, definite Word that is true. And when my feelings tell me what's true, and it's in conflict with what God says is true, I'm the liar, not His Word. Let us pray. Lord, we're not silent very often. We live in a noisy, noisy world. And there's so much noise in our heads, in our hearts, that would tell us what's true. We're so easily afraid. Teach us more about listening. And by your grace, may there have been a lot of Hinanis that you heard tonight. And may we find ourselves with a serious commitment to hear, to understand, and to obey your word. Your word of truth. Thank you that you call us by name. Thank you for giving us a word by which we can live and face all the circumstances in this life and can face death in a very, very different way because we believe your word which tells us who you are and what you did because of who you are. May there be lots of times that we listen to you in this new year. Hineni, here we are in your presence. Transform us by your word of truth that we might live and declare the truth of your word that we might be light in a dark world. We pray in the name of the Lord of the Covenant, whose steadfast love, whose faithfulness brings every bit of your word to pass. Amen.